This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for Thursday, February 2nd, Groundhog Day. Here's the weather forecast for you. Mainly cloudy today, a few flurries. There may even be some heavy snow periods. The high today, minus one degree. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, it's Groundhog Day. Again, govern yourself accordingly. Number two, southern Ontario going into the deep freeze tonight. Number three, tenants are shivering without heat on St. Clair. Number four, that car that pounded into the Vaughn Mills Mall was stolen in Quebec. Number five, a journalist is amongst the latest to be killed in a random attack on Toronto streets. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. This is More in the Morning on News Talk 1010 Toronto. Okay, we could not do it, right? Well, I don't know if all that's true. You got it's a great song. So we'll just play the crap out of it today. And a rare use of oboe in pop music. I got 5.07 in the morning, and yes, it is February 2nd, it's Groundhog Day, and if there's like two people out there who don't get the reference, just in case, that is how every single day begins in the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. And frankly, comedies never get the credit they're owed. I think that belongs on like a top 10 list of the greatest movies, and perhaps it's with some degree of irony it would certainly be on my list of movies that I could watch again and again and again and again. The test of a great movie for me is if somebody turned to me after we'd finished dinner and said, what do you think about watching Groundhog Day? I'd think, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I, I'm, I'm ready to do it again. There's a whole catalog of films I have never seen, like The Bicycle Thief, that are considered part of the great classics of all time. But yeah, I'm ready to watch Groundhog Day. So I am probably amongst the many who never quite understands what the groundhog's prognostications mean, if he sees his shadow or doesn't see his shadow. I think if he sees his shadow, it's another six weeks of spring. And if he doesn't see his shadow, then, oh, I don't know, of winter, yeah. Who cares? It's meaningless. I mean, half the time the groundhog has been dead in Wyarton. The upside in all of this is it's a chance for a handful of smaller towns to be the focus for one day of all kinds of attention. And as the mayor of Wyerton, who will, uh, Joe Cristiano joining us at 6-5, South Bruce Peninsula Mayor uh, Gary Mishi, that's new. Yeah, he just won in October. What happened to the previous one? Were they defeated? Did they retire? Or like the previous Wyerton Willie? Did she, they... no, I, I remember <laughs> I looked at the election results. She lost by like 10% or oh. 5%, something like that. Okay. Well, and I know that our former producer, Jesse Lorraine's twin sister, was running in the municipal election, and that didn't work out, right? No, she lost the deputy mayor position. That's too bad. I think she'd be great. I think she, well, anyway, it's not up to me to tell the people of Bruce Peninsula how to vote. Um, but the uh, people in Wyerton are pointing out that it's a nice tourist attraction. They're expecting about a thousand people, probably half of them reporters. And then it's also kind of a homecoming that a lot of people who used to live in the area come home, have a cup of coffee or hot chocolate, enjoy the show. And who knows? We've had many misadventures on Groundhog Day in Wyerton, including the year where they thought it was a good idea to present a dead marmot in a box to a bunch of school children. And if 
I remember, I think they also put like coins on, on its eyes. Because nothing says fun like a dead animal with coins on its eyes. Well, it's a good thing it wasn't me because I probably would have done like a weekend at Wyrton Willie's kind of thing. <laughs> you would have up on around like a puppet. Yeah. Um, that is such a Simpsons moment to imagine all of these children confronted by a dead marmot. All right. There are more serious things to talk about. But actually, I like Groundhog Day. It's just it's goofy and silly and stupid. And so, yes, the entire theme of the movie is Bill Murray uh, being a weatherman who is, you know, sentenced to the oblivion of covering Groundhog Day. But I would imagine, I don't know who they're sending. We'll find out shortly. Is Steve Ryan going to go cover the marmot? Is he done with crime for a day and he's going to go off to Wyerton? I hope he's got a nice suit. <laughs> yeah. Well, he keeps on taking off his clothes on television. It's a very strange thing. Okay, uh, but much more serious things, including local crime. And we had come across this as a tweet, and then we had to try to figure out how to confirm the whole thing. And it has been sadly confirmed. The documentary maker, Michael Finley, who actually retired from the CBC a while ago, but for pretty well a generation was producing documentaries and then editing and mentoring um, other reporters and aspiring documentarists. Uh, was assaulted by a stranger while walking on the Danforth and was killed. And, you know, the, the, there is, the only thing in common is the mechanism of death and, and the nature of the attack. It's not like the same person is running around the streets of Toronto pushing people to the ground and killing them. But it does start to seem like the largest cause of death over the last few weeks in Toronto is random attacks by strangers. I mean, you have the 89-year-old woman who was pushed down. You have the woman who was stabbed to death at the High Park subway station. Uh, and now uh, this guy, and um, his name was Michael Finley, attacked by a stranger who is still at large. Toronto police say they're looking for a man in his 20s, slim build, about six feet tall, Last seen wearing a black sweater and pants, as well as a red paper mask with flames. Okay, well, you know, if this person has a roommate, then maybe you'll, maybe you'll remember that uh, red paper mask with flames. Uh, dude, you got to turn yourself in. Um, then we have learning more about something we were talking about on the show yesterday morning. And that was a car plowing through the doors at a mall. And now they found out that the car was actually stolen, which is what I figured because I was watching the footage yesterday and I thought, I can see the license plate. So if you've got a license plate in plain evidence, then clearly you don't care about it being traced back to you. It's not going to be. So uh, Taylor Anna Kobinger is a resident of Laval, Quebec, and she actually listed her Audi A4 on Facebook to sell. And a guy comes and takes it for a test drive, and she starts feeling a little uneasy about him. So she gets out of the car, and he drives away. And that's the last she saw of the car until cops called her and said, by the way, your car just punched through the doors of a mall uh, north of Toronto. So uh, these guys plowed into the doors at Vaughn Mills. I love in the description I'm reading, drove erratically in the corridors. Yes, you've already punched through the doors of a mall and you're driving inside a mall. So I don't know necessarily that you're going to be all that uh, organized about it. Uh, and then they pulled up in front of the source and emptied a bunch of stuff into the car and took off. 
I have to say, I was quite admiring in watching the reporting last night of the police officer, Sergeant Clint Whitney, who briefed reporters and used the word audacious. He said it is an audacious crime. And I thought, there we go. A better word than brazen. So congratulations to Sergeant Clint Whitney for articulating that. Uh, the suspects were caught on camera, but they were disguised by hoods, and the car has been abandoned. And now, talk about being somewhat abused by the whole situation. Taylor Anna Kobinger has to come from Laval, Quebec, to pick up her car. It is damaged, as you might imagine, and apparently the insurance policy she has doesn't cover this. It's time for What's Toronto Talking About with John Moore. For those watching here on CP24 and listening on News Talk 1010, good morning, John. Good morning, Arda, and welcome to the new, the airwaves of News Talk 1010. Good to be here. Yes, thank you so much for being here as well. So, Wyerton Willie is set to make his Groundhog Day prediction, but what's your prediction, John? Oh, I have no idea. I've never understood Groundhog Day. I like it and admire it as a tourist attraction. But every time they say the groundhog has seen his shadow, I have no idea what it means. And let's face it, it is meaningless. This is a silly day, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, it inspired one of my favorite movies of all time. 8.07 this morning, and I'm sure you guys are going to be carrying it live. Wyerton Willie, should he still be alive, because one never knows in Wyerton, will make his prediction. And I'm just surprised that Bill was not dispatched to Wyerton. <laughs> Actually, we have three Groundhogs that we're monitoring this morning, not just one. We have Puxatawney Phil, <laughs> Shubanakri Sam, and Wyerton Willie. And also, Bill. So, <laughs> all of those, but Bill is, of course, the Let's most Let's see if Bill important. sees his shadow, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this next story really was, was something, especially the video. A Quebec woman is shocked after her stolen Audi was used in a Vaughn Mills break and enter. We saw some of that video yesterday on CP24. Uh, they went through the entrance, stole some things, and then went the other way. This is a remarkable rest of the story. You're absolutely right. Because yesterday we were looking at the footage of an Audi punching through the doors at a mall. And now we've learned that that Audi belongs to a woman named Taylor Anna Kobinger. Uh, she lives in Laval, Quebec. And she says that a guy came and took it for a test drive and then stole the car. Police called her up about 24 hours later and said, by the way, we have your car. And the ultimate downer in all of this, Arda, is she now has to come to Ontario in order to pick up her damaged car, and apparently her insurance is not going to cover what happened. You're kidding. It's bad enough that they stole her car. <laughs> the poor woman. Uh, let's move on to this next story. Yeah. Tenants of a Midtown apartment have been without, a heat, heat, without heat for a week, and of all weeks, it's this week. Yeah, this is picking up in intensity for these tenants. About 200 people living at a place called the Fleetwood. It's on St. Clair Avenue West. They've been without heat, as you mentioned, for about a week. But as Bill has just predicted, it's going to go into the deep freeze tonight and tomorrow. They've been provided with space heaters, and apparently the parts for the boiler that heats the building normally are going to arrive tomorrow. But it looks like a very unpleasant night and possibly a very unpleasant Friday as well. Let's just hope things get resolved very, very soon. A Brampton mayor wants to hand out thousands of free Faraday bags to limit auto thefts. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, what does this exactly do? Well, Faraday bags, based on one of the uh, great 
you know, scientists of electronics and radio transmission, a Faraday bag is actually made with a metal mesh so that you cannot transmit radio waves through it. So here's the idea. You take a Faraday bag and you put your fob into it for your car, and that way people can't clone the fob from a distance and steal your car. And so, yeah, right, Brampton Mayor uh, Patrick Brown has decided he wants to give away these Faraday bags to residents. As he says, it's like a $6 investment that could save a $60,000 car. But I'll also tell you that one of our regular contributors, Deb Hutton, told us that she had her fob in a Faraday bag and her car still got stolen. Oh, no. That's horrible. So obviously it can work in some cases and not in others. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Australia is removing British monarchy from its banknotes. Could this be a sign of change for the future? It definitely raises questions about what Canadians are going to do. I think there's a, a certain disconnect that we were all happy because most of us were born while she was still queen to have Queen Elizabeth on the currency. Now that King Charles is going to be on the currency, I think a lot of people are saying, okay, that's just a little weird. So in Australia, there was only one bill, the five-pound bill, where uh, King Charles would have been on the currency, and they've decided to not to do that. They're going to be using Indigenous art. So the question certainly is in Canada, where the $20 bill, for example, has Queen Elizabeth on it. Are we going to put Charles on that or try something different? It's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Thank you so much for this, John. You can always catch John for more in the morning from 5 until 9 on News Talk 1010. All right, that's Artis Zakarian over at CP24. And we'll add that to the agenda today for the roundtables, the idea of currency. It's not the newest of debates, but it's worth having again now that at least one former colony has decided that they... They're not going to be putting Charles on the currency. They're going to put them on coinage. But I don't know about you. I barely use coins. I occasionally get them as change for something, like when I go to the bagel store or I buy a newspaper, and I keep on throwing them into a bag and thinking eventually I'll use them. Occasionally, I'll just reach into that bag and throw a bunch of them in the pocket when I'm going for a walk and you know give them away if I get the opportunity. Um, but yeah, do we want... Here's the disconnect, I think, when it comes to the monarch and actually the monarch, you know, point final, but also the monarch and the currency. The queen, it made sense. She's an historic figure. She was historic by the time I was born. But when you get to Charles, all of a sudden it kind of seems like a soap opera where there's some sort of a succession of characters. I don't have the same regard. And this is just me. Maybe there are monarchists out there who absolutely believe that the magic of the sovereign has naturally passed from the queen to Charles. But I see Charles as a modern pop figure. So seeing him on my currency is kind of like Canadian tire money. And I don't think they even make Canadian tire money anymore. So um, this is one of those days where Joe Cristiano and I were sitting there and, and with the newsroom going over all of the news stories. And for example, coming up with the five things you need to know, I thought today there's like 10 things you need to know. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. We won't dwell on Groundhog Day. I'm somewhat astonished that it makes the news, to be honest. I mean, it's a fun little thing, but the idea that we have to parse the results of what a groundhog whispers into someone's ear who's pretending to speak groundhog. I mean, there's so many disconnects and, well, I mean, even to try to apply some thread of logic to Groundhog Day is somewhat embarrassing. 
So we'll just keep moving. Uh, for me, it's just, it's a fun occasion. It's a chance to play some Sonny and Cher. And it's a chance to talk about another township in Ontario and direct our attention to it. And it's a spot where uh, we kind of have on our show a bit of a connection because Jessie Lorraine used to produce the show. She is from the Wyarton area. And when she finally got tired of the gerbil wheel of producing a daily radio show, which really is a relentless rinse and repeat, uh, Tim, not Tim Allen, actually, Fred Allen once called radio the treadmill to oblivion. Um, but she went home to Wyarton and she opened up a food truck. And I think they're coming into their third season. So I've been somewhat neglectful in not going to visit Jessie Lorraine and her sister and their food truck. So we'll do that this spring or summer. Meanwhile, I've been there twice now. Have you? To their food truck? Yeah, and once yeah. with Becky Coles, too. Yeah, I, I just don't tend to travel a lot. I mean, we have made, we made a resolution many years ago that we would try and visit all parts of Ontario. And we've had a pretty good run at it. And we've been to a lot of the places, you know, like Port Dover, went back to Bayfield, where part of my family is from. Uh, but uh, I went up to Collingwood to see um, Andy Berry, who now lives in Collingwood. Uh, but yeah, I have been neglectful and not going to visit Jesse Lorraine. So uh, the name of the uh, food truck is the Sandwiches. I know. Yeah. Clever. And actually, there's one quick mention here is they decided they wanted to be environmentally friendly. So way before we got into the single-use plastics ban, when they opened up, Jesse Lorraine and her sister decided to f source out things that were biodegradable. So all of their packaging, everything they deliver their food with, all of their utensils, all of that stuff is environmentally friendly and not single-use plastic. All right, before we start digging into this Pierre Polyev, Justin Trudeau poll, I did want to reference, and you know what, I like Michael Ford, but I just think this is a dumb tweet. Um, Michael Ford tweeting out, did you know Ontario has the lowest number of regulations per capita of any province in Canada? How did that become a measure? How do you, this is where, you know, statisticians say, how, do, how does that work? I mean, does that mean if you live in a small town, you only have three bylaws? I get the point that he's trying to make, which is that Ontario is a good place to do business and we don't have as many regulations as they do elsewhere. But measuring regulations per capita is the most meaningless comparison that you could ever conceive of. But good morning, Michael Ford. Like I said, I actually think that he made a good city councillor. I don't know if he's making a great MPP and cabinet minister. I haven't been paying that much attention. So Pierre Pauly ever gaining support at Justin Trudeau's expense. The broad strokes to the latest poll from the folks at Abacus are that the Conservatives, if we held an election today, would draw 37% of the vote. That's majority territory. Although for Conservatives, it's a little tougher. But still, that would probably lead to a majority government. Liberals at 29, NDP at 18. The most important aspect would be, okay, what's how has that changed, you ask? I'll tell you. Conservatives at 37% is plus three. Liberals at 29% is minus four. And the NDP is unchanged at 18%. Uh, Green, incidentally, I mean, wow, they've upped their support by, what, 25%? Uh, they're at 4% now, which is uh, plus one. 
So the interesting thing is Canadians still have a largely negative impression of Pierre Polyev, but they also have a negative impression of Justin Trudeau. And when it comes to fundraising, incidentally, which is also a pretty interesting measure of a party's prospects, uh, in the last three months, so the last quarter of 2022, uh, the Conservatives raised $9.66 million, which is pretty impressive. The Liberals raised 5.79. Now, there's always going to be a certain froth when it comes to being in opposition and hoping to form power. So it's actually easier to raise money when, I mean, I, I subscribe quite deliberately to conservative fundraising letters. And they always, they're always incredibly urgent about how Justin Trudeau is ruining this country. And he's and, and then it's a list of the things that he's going to do, like make you eat crickets. Okay, they've never gone for that talking point yet in the conservative literature, but that's still my favorite injunction amongst those who um, oppose liberals, which is that they're going to ban meat and uh, also take away your gas stove, and they're going to make you eat crickets. 5.42 is the time, and... I'm somewhat saddened by the fact that uh, Amira El-Gawabi, and I know I got to tell you who she is, has apologized. This is a recently appointed individual who is responsible for fighting Islamophobia in Canada. And somebody dug into the archives and found out that about four years ago, I think, she co-wrote a column that said that Quebec's laws against religion were in, in the public sphere, I guess we have to be specific about this, were motivated by Islamophobia. And, and the thing is, she had to apologize yesterday. She had to go in for one of those meetings where you apologize to a certain individual, in this case, the head of the Bloc Québécois in Ottawa. And I'm sorry that she had to do that because she's right. But this is one of those times where when you identify an unfortunate aspect of a given group of people, you have to apologize, even if it's true. Good news to share that uh, John Herdman has agreed to stay on as the coach of Canada's men's soccer team. I sort of think we had a Nestle chocolate milk moment at the most recent international affair, which was the World Cup. Uh, because we lost three games, but apparently we lost them with great style, grace, and commitment. Uh, but still, I think that the, uh, and, I, and we should probably at some point, next time he's here anyway, we'll talk with Bob Richardson, because he sits on the board of directors of Canada Soccer. Um, but I think women's and men's soccer in Canada is doing well, women's in particular. They had to sort of swallow the men's team going to Qatar and losing three matches and being called amazing because they are the international champs, the women's team. Um, but still, uh, John Herdman used to coach the women, came over from coaching women in 2018, and he was offered apparently a deal with New Zealand football, but ultimately decided to turn it down. And of course, the next big World Cup of Soccer is happening right here in Canada, U.S., and Mexico. So there's a lot at stake here. I looked it up, and you can't always rely on the figures. When you Google, like, how much is somebody worth or what do they make? Because if you Google how much does John Moore make or how much is he worth, I think it comes back like $5 million or something like that. Um, but I came across multiple sources that said John Herdman is earning $465,000 a year 
in order to coach the men's soccer team. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. All right, just digging through my pack because I thought you might want to know more about this uh, apartment where people are freezing. It's part of that row of historic apartments. Glenn Gould used to live in one. There's actually a plaque out front of it. I always thought that would be a mixed blessing because it'd be like, how cool is it that one of the most famous pianists in the world lives in our building? And then the downside would be how noisy is it that one of the world's most famous pianists lives in our building? Not sure if this is actually the one. I'll uh, do a quick check. I don't think it is because I think it would have been mentioned in my brief. Uh, But there are about 200 tenants who live at the Fleetwood on St. Clair Avenue West. This is between Avenue Road and Young Street. They've been without heat for a week, which already would be fairly insufferable. But, you know, even worse, as the temperature plunges tonight into the double digits and remains there tomorrow. Now, the building management and the residents say they've been very, very poor communicators in all of this. Building management says they've got a boiler issue. The parts they need to repair the boiler arrive tomorrow. That's not necessarily a timeline on when they'll actually restore the heat. Uh, They have been given, they've given space heaters to the tenants, but it's an old building. So that has its jeopardy. You know, if too many people run their space heaters at the same time and too high, then they're probably going to end up without electricity and without heat. And at the very least, management, who, as I mentioned, are not particularly popular at the moment with the residents, have said they'll look into reimbursing residents for the hydro usage in powering the space heaters. But uh, Jill Andrew, who is the local MPP, and Josh Matlow, are on the case and have been rattling the cage of management. I don't know if that's necessarily uh, accomplishing much, but at least somebody's on the file. Uh, TDSB, this is interesting. I don't know if it amounts to a debatable. I think we put it on the agenda for the round table, but I'd have to see the titles to know exactly what this is gonna mean. Uh, Trustees at the Toronto District School Board have voted in favor of replacing the existing grade 11 English course that they have right now with a curriculum that will focus on First Nations, Métis, and Inuit writers. Now, that particular curriculum already exists, apparently. It's just a module that is taught, but now it is going to become the central module. And as one of the people testifying, who's actually a student, um, one of the people testifying at the hearing where they voted on this yesterday said they're not swapping out Shakespeare, Dickens, and classic literature for Indigenous authors. They are merely supplementing the existing curriculum and emphasizing Indigenous writings. This is all part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which came back with, I think it's 93. I always forget the exact number, but 93 recommendations. And I always find it interesting when one of those recommendations is implemented. And people get all ornery about it. It's almost like some people think that, you know, Truth and Reconciliation Commission was a great idea. They came up with these recommendations, but uh, it's way too onerous to actually execute any of them. And I often point to Australia as a country where they really have reckoned with their past. And it's not about issuing an apology and moving on. It's about finding meaningful ways to acknowledge the wrong, but also to integrate indigenous culture into the mainstream. 
And like I said, in Australia, they've been largely successful at that. In Canada, we have our growing pains, but I think we're making our way. And certainly, you know, I guess this coming from a guy who's currently taking an online course in Indigenous culture and history, um, I think it's... And, and yesterday, the debate was whether or not lawyers in Alberta should have to study Indigenous history. I just think it's a good idea. There's an awful lot of stuff we don't know. And if all that we know about Indigenous history is the grievances of the residential schools and a couple of powwows, then we haven't really taken all that stuff in. So if you are a user of Tim Horton's mobile application, then apparently you're in line for a free hot beverage and a baked good. How exciting is that? All of this is because a Supreme Court judge in Quebec approved a settlement in a class action lawsuit over the fact that Restaurant Brands International, the Brazilian company that owns Tim Hortons, I think everybody's so wrapped up in the iconic status of Tim Hortons as something you would bleed if somebody cut your arm. It's owned by a Brazilian chain. Uh, but they shared people's information, and it was pretty significant. Like, you could be located. They, could, they would know at Tim Hortons if you were at McDonald's. And so because of that, somebody filed a class action suit. They won it. So if you are a Tim Hortons mobile application user, I don't know how you claim this, but a hot beverage and a baked good. I just took advantage of that. Yesterday after the show, yes. I went for a quick walk because it was cold. And uh, I went to Tim Hortons and I ordered a coffee and something else and it was free. Okay. Did they, had they notified you of this? Well, or you, was... you have to actually go to where it says offers on the app and it says activate free baked good offer or free coffee. So you actually have to activate it. Okay. And so, I don't have the app. So I do have the McDonald's app actually. Uh, in just a moment, actually, speaking of being surprised at the cash register, uh, somebody posted something on uh, Twitter this morning that I'll tell you about in a second. And apparently, this has to be the first good news story about Loblaws in a good long time. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.